Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is validated real-time visibility for pharma with my friend Josh Allen. How's it going, Josh? It's going great, Joe. How are you doing today? Good, good. Well, I'm excited to have you on my podcast. We talked offline the other day, and uh, I learned something. I learned that all this talk of visibility doesn't apply to pharma because they have their own rules. And that doesn't surprise me because anytime you talk about the FDA and pharma and food, I mean, I know we're only talking about pharma today, but they have their own rules and you're going to teach us that. Well, and, and the rules change and they change <laughs> quite often as, as they should to, to try to ultimately, I think all the rules that we're focused on are around consumer safety and getting the right products on the shelves, whether it be medicinal or food or things that are being passed through in particular in the cold chain. So, so the rules do change quite a bit. Excellent. Excellent. We'll get into that in a minute. But first, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah. So my name is Josh Allen. I'm the chief revenue officer here at Tive, as you can see on my shirt. So Tive, many of you know us, we, we are in the real-time visibility space and are doing real-time tracking. So providing the most accurate location and condition data on goods that are being shipped from points A to B and C and everywhere in between. I am dialed in here today from Linfield, Massachusetts, which is about 15 miles north of, of Boston. And Tive's headquarters, our global headquarters, is based in, in Charlestown, Massachusetts. So just on the north side of the city of Boston. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Tive before. I know this is more general than we're going to get. We'll get into the details of pharma in a minute. But Tive in general, everybody says visibility today. So I hear, I joke about it, but there was a time maybe six months, a year ago, where 50 people in a row said, I would like to talk about visibility. And I kind of, I've kind of come to the conclusion that there's a spectrum of visibility. When I was at a little 3PL, we would have EDI that would update our system and we'd say, we have real-time visibility. The real-time was maybe a half-hour delay or an hour <laughs> delay, but we had real-time visibility, but we really didn't. And then now we have other systems you know, embedded in e ELDs and... We have MacroPoint. We have all these other systems that provide information about where the truck is, which is good, much better than we used to have, but it's not what Tive has. So describe what Tive does and how it is kind of on the far end of that spectrum, when it, the high end of visibility. Yeah, I'd say like we we try to put the real in real-time visibility, meaning it's it's what's happening right, right now. now. Right now. So if, if you're and you're tracking the actual location and condition of the shipment itself, because our customers are attaching our device to a specific shipment. So it's not necessarily about the truck or the driver or the aircraft. Like it's about that specific shipment. And that's because they want to know what's happening with that shipment. And pharma in particular, uh, a lot of it's cold chain. So they need to know if the temperature is staying within right certain range or if there are any excursions we see the same thing in food and then when you get into other high value type goods they might want to know was something dropped or damaged and when did that happen we can tell you right when it happens 
was a box open or the truck open when it shouldn't have been. We can tell you something dropped. (laughs) If something dropped uh, off the top shelf, I want to know. I so I can tell where the damage is because you just said the condition. You can get you can measure what humidity, shock, location. Obviously, the location is kind of the easy part for you guys. But I think this is super important when we start talking about medicines and organ transplants and the stuff that I'll call them the most, those are life-saving shipments. I don't want to know where the truck is if my pallet didn't get loaded to that truck. I don't know. I don't want to know where the driver's phone is at if he's not driving my pallet. <laughs> I want to know where the pallet with that, with that type tracker is. And I want to know that it's the right temperature. Exactly. Exactly. That's so that's that's what we're focused on. We are on the far end of the spectrum of real time visibility because we know that the customers that we work with, these are very sensitive, high risk, high value shipments that need everything now, not a half hour ago, not an hour ago, but now. Right. I interviewed Krenar, the founder, and I remember him talking about you guys managing organ transplants and I think he said you'd be shocked at how many times a plane or a helicopter is leaving without the organ that is going to be transplanted. And obviously, I want the high end of visibility on that. But anyway, we'll get into more about that in a minute. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights. I know I looked at your LinkedIn profile. You've been there, done that, got the hat. So just give us the condensed version, uh, what you did before you joined Tive. Yeah, I'm so I'm a uh, I'm a born and raised Bostonian. I grew up my family I actually come from a, a lobster fishing background. So I am the first in four generations on my dad's side of the family not to be a lobster fisherman. That originated in Ireland and then came through Nova oh, Scotia wow. down here to Boston. So so yeah, I, I my family isn't in the tech business. They're in the they're in the fishing business. I was fortunate enough that so I went to to Bowdoin College up in Maine, which is a small liberal arts school. Those in the New England area in the Northeast would would know it. And then when I came out of there, I was trying to figure out really what I was going to do. And, and I was fortunate that one of my teammates from college introduced me to tech. And uh, I started out in in antivirus technology and kind of learned the ropes of tech companies and what growth looked like. And and ultimately was fortunate that. Throughout my career, I've found these really high growth technology organizations. So spent 10, ten years you found in my another career. one, didn't you? <laughs> I logged me in that went public. And then I was with a company called Cargurus and we took them public. And then I was with an organization called Drift that was uh, acquired by private equity. So I've tried to find these companies that that are, are growing really quickly and need leadership assistance on, on how to set up the right systems hire the right people and grow out the team, make sure that we have proper planning in place so that you can get to a position to scale. And that's that's where that's what led me into Tive and working with Krenar and the team here is to try to get the company in a position where we can really kind of uh, springboard and accelerate the growth of the organization. Yep. So you had options. You've done some things. You had options. You could have gone a lot of different places. When and why did you join Tive? I joined in April. So I've been with Tive for about seven months, which, you know, in, in startup terms is kind of dog years. In career terms, is a very small window of time. But I, I joined then really because, again, like that, that, that look for Boston-based fast growth company that is trying to, to change the way people are doing business. And I think 
you know, Tive entered a market that had existed. It wasn't one that they were creating. We weren't creating a category, but there was technology that had been around for a long period of time. And so we decided to enter it from a different angle, which was more software and, and data-based in helping our customers, then yes, the hardware is an important component, but without the good brains of the software, without the managed services team behind it, then whatever the hardware is transmitting, it doesn't matter. And so we as a company have approached it from that point of view with the goal of helping our customers be able to take action against the data. So for me, it was that's where the software part of my brain and career had clicked. And it made a lot of sense that we were going to try to build a company that way. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to switch gears and I want to talk about today's topic, which is, by the way, guys, we have this long, long title, Validated Real-Time Visibility for Pharma. And it was even longer. I had to keep forcing Josh to make it shorter. But we wanted to be clear that it was not all the visibility that you hear about, which, by the way, is had been a huge bonus for our industry. I mean, nobody wanted the ELD to happen, but when it happened, we didn't know how good that was going to be for for visibility. But that's not good enough for the kind of the pharma. And by the way, I think we all learned how important uh, pharmaceutical shipments are during COVID. I, I will never take that for granted again. So when we talked the other day, you had five points that you uh, wanted to talk about when it came to this solution. So what is the first point you wanted to make? Well, I think the, the first point is that this is a, it's a hard world to crack into because there, there are a variety of different needs as it relates to, to certifications and validations, inspection points that, that we need to go through as a company so that we are a pharma-ready solution. And so Tive was, was ready with a pharma-available solution late this year, uh, sorry, late in Q3 in September, where to be able to cover the variety of temperatures that are required throughout the farmer transportation world, which is anything from minus 200 that you'd find with cryo shipments to dry ice, all the way up to kind of ambient temperature shipments that are happening. Well, there's and minus 200 degrees and they have to ship that way? Minus 200. And, and well, not only does it have to be shipped that way, but we have to be able to measure that temperature and ensure that it's staying within the range during the shipment process. Right. Now I'm from Michigan and you're from Massachusetts. So we understand what minus 200 is, but that is really cold. In January. (laughs) That's coming. So, so you guys had to qualify to get to that. And there, so there's a need for like heavy compliance is your point. There is, there's, you know, some of the terminology. So it's FDA 21 CFR part 11 and EU annex compliance. So it's ensuring that the electronic records can be trusted the same way as a handwritten record would uh, would be in the medical world. There's the three-point NIST traceable certificate of calibration that we have to provide with every type tracker. So it's it's showing that it's fully calibrated by an ISO 17025 accredited laboratory. And that has to be calibrated with the probe if we're measuring in dry ice or in cryo conditions. And that we're GXP compliant, so that we're following the guidelines of, of good manufacturing practices. So those are things that, you know, as a we're, a we're a fast growing company, but still a relatively small company on the grand scale of things. And to be able to do the work, uh, to be able to make that happen, it takes a lot of focus across the organization, across the sales organization, 
a product marketing org that has to help us really create all the literature that we're trying to get it in front of that world. And then certainly on the product and engineering front where they're having to learn all of these things as we build the product so that we're making it compliant. We're engaging in contracting with the right laboratories to ensure that we're testing everything and it's passing those tests before we're going to put it in the hands of one of our customers. So it's, I think, you know, it's a proud moment for us as an organization that we can go in and support our customers in a way in the, in the pharmaceutical world and in medicinal transportation that uh, we weren't able to earlier in the year. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I think I didn't know this. And by the way, I've, I'd done some work on the Food Safety Modernization Act. I did tons of training over the years on that. And I realized like a lot of companies struggle to even get to the Food Safety Modernization Act level. This is the next level. <laughs> and so you mentioned the first off, the first point we wanted to make was that you, you need to be compliant. You can't just say, well, I have an ELD system. God bless all the systems we have out there. Not all of them are pharma compliant. So if you're a pharmaceutical company, you you know that, that the bar is much higher for these shipments. So first off, you guys had to become compliant. Now, you mentioned something about electronic records. And one other thing, while we're talking about electronic records, if you become certified, or I should say validated real-time visibility for pharma here, can you do it worldwide or is it just US or do you have to qualify everywhere? There's some, there's some different levels of qualification that you have to be responsible for, in particular in Europe, uh, which we've also qualified for. And then there's some more kind of general certifications that we had to get around SOC 2, Type 2 compliance, so that we're essentially saying we're, we're able to test who has access to our data and our information and who could either physically access or electronically access so that because you get when you get into Fortune 100 companies, the Fortune 5, the Fortune 10, they have a level of expectations and they're pretty universal that say, hey, tell us who has access to potentially our information if we're going to be working with you. So you have the SOC 2 Type 2 compliance and then the ISO uh, 27001 that we got in addition, for, and this is for, for all of our customers, so not just in the pharma space, but all of our customers, in addition to the other certifications I just mentioned that were more pharma specific. Yep. So the, the other thing I wanted, so you mentioned the electronic records. Talk about that for a second. What does that entail? Because you said they have to be as trustworthy or, or I don't know, accurate as the, the paper copies. Describe what you need to do for that. Yeah, it's it's essentially that there's um, they can't be manipulated or doctored, and they can't be accessed by someone who's ineligible. So it's it's being able to for us to be able to sort of guarantee via a third party coming in and checking out our processes, looking at our back end, where the data gets stored, how it gets routed, who has access to it, and being able to sort of check that box and say, okay, just like if you were to take a handwritten medical record and store it in a filing cabinet and assure that only the doctors and the office workers who were in that building had access to those medical records. We need to be able to do the same, take the same validation and access step for, for anything that we're transmitting or sending on behalf of our customers. Yep. Now let me ask a question. Cause I, as soon as you said, you have to make sure this is uh, the right permission levels, the right security levels. Is your sweet spot, is it the pharma companies themselves or is it their transportation partners like the trucking companies or 3PLs? Who, who's your sweet spot at, at Tive? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's 
both. And then there's sort of a middle, which are the, uh, the packaging companies. So if you think of there's certain pharmaceutical shipments that have to be moved in either vacuum sealed packages or not every box or container can just hold cryo or dry ice. So there are very specific containers that have to be made. And those are usually third parties or outsourced from the manufacturers themselves. So we work with all three layers of that. So it could be, you know, the major manufacturers at the middle, or it could be the packaging companies that surround those manufacturers, or it's the 3PLs and logistics service providers and the companies that assist in moving things and may specialize in either a certain medicine, a certain lane, a certain mode of transportation, depending on the type of good that's being moved around. So we work with, with each of those layers. Damn, this is gets us deep. So anyway, we wanted to talk about four points, five points, Josh. So this is to get us that validated real-time visibility. And I didn't realize until we started talking how significant this is. But so the first is first point is you need to be compliant if you're gonna work with those pharma companies. If you show up and say, Hey, we can do this for you, they're gonna they're gonna say, Yeah, probably not. So you had to get this this compliance. Uh, the F, and that's an FDA compliance. Secondly, the electronic records, you have to be able to prove that you're securing them the right way and that they're accurate, they're tamper-proof, all of that. What's the third point? Well, the third point I touched on a little bit earlier, but it's, it's, this, it's the calibration process. So, and it's not something that, that a lot of folks think about, but when you actually manufacture the device, you have to be able to say, okay, we've tested this device before we're sending it out. Before it's going to be used in the wild, we're testing to ensure it's reading the temperature, it's reading location, it's doing what it's supposed to do the way we expect it to do it. And so each of our each of our devices, each of our trackers, which I don't have one with me right now, but each one of them is about the size. It's about of, the size of the deck of cards. Yep. And it's got, for those that are being shipped in cryo and dry ice and need the probe extension, which connects to the tracker, those all have to be validated and, and calibrated in a lab before we can send it to a customer. So that process is a, is a step that we have been taking to make sure that, again, you know, just from you want to make sure that when you're a hardware company and you're building actual manufactured goods that you're going to move, there's a, there's a yield process. So you understand that, okay, once this product comes off the assembly line and is put together, does it do what we said it was going to do? And so each one of our devices and probes will come with that certificate of validation that it, it has been tested in an appointed lab and it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yep. Somebody was on my podcast not so long ago and they said, you know, we all know if you're in a factory, you have to calibrate the equipment. You have to, you have to be running best practices. And they kind of made the point that that is kind of extending into transportation and the supply chain outside of the factory. So if you're in a warehouse and you've got to keep something a certain temperature, you have to be able to prove your calibration. And now when it's on the road, yeah, you have to be able to prove your, that this is calibrated. And if you should ask, we can provide the information that says we're doing, or I should say, or uh, the Tive Tracker is doing what it's supposed to do. Guaranteed. Correct. Excellent. So, so we hit the first three points. What's the next point that you wanted to make about this? Well, that one, the calibration part leads into point four, which is, is really kind of getting into the how you manufacture and are you following what would be classified as, as good manufacturing practices or GMP 
and that that all of the components, so the both the hardware and the software, are developed and tested following the good automated manufacturing practice, otherwise known as the GAMP five model. So it's a universally accepted practice of manufacturing. You need to be able to to tell the world that we're doing it that way. So that again, there this has been templated and followed by other companies. Are we following the best practices associated with doing that? And oftentimes that's making sure that we're we're working with the right contract manufacturers and other vendors to ensure that we're we're building products the right way, which we are. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's interesting you should say that because anytime you go to the store, I was just at Target yesterday and I was looking at all these electronic things. And man, some of them are so cheap now. I mean, you look and go, oh my God, you can, all sorts of things that would have been very expensive 10 years ago are like, you know, stocking stuffers now, right? And they don't all have to meet that same standard though, the, the good manufacturing practices. I'm not saying they don't, but they don't have to. So they can say, hey, we went with the low cost vendor. We, we, uh, we're not worried about it. They either work or they don't. It's just a cheap little sensor. That's not what you guys are selling here. No, it's not. And, and, you know, depending on what you buy, you can go, you can go pretty low on certain electronics that have been around there for a long time. I think with, with our device, because, you know, we, we care and know that the value of the goods that are being shipped with our device as a part of it are significant. And the cost of either something going bad or being unusable or not showing up on time or showing up in the pharmaceutical world and then having to go into quarantine because there was a temperature excursion like that costs our customers a lot of money. And the reason they bring us in, it could could cost a life could cost a life. Yeah, exactly. In this world, when you're talking about organ transplants and transportation, or you're talking about medicines uh, that could potentially be right now we're in, we're in, we're in November flu shots. I just got mine. It was fun, but we learned during COVID the importance of getting that vaccine where it needed to be. And uh, let's face it, not, not the whole world didn't get the shot that they needed uh, when they needed it. No. And, and if you remember when it was first being rolled out worldwide, how many stories there were about about vaccines that had been stored at the wrong temperature or the freezers they were stored in broke down or they didn't have anywhere to put. And there was a lot of stuff that was happening during the shipment process that was either going undetected or, or wasn't, being, wasn't being monitored and tracked correctly, where it could have taken corrective action faster within those individual shipments that were being moved. There was a lot of good vaccine that was thrown away because of that. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to, so we've talked about four of the five points we wanted to hit and and then I want to get you to go kind of walk through a case study with me, but no names, <laughs> but um, first off, there is a need for compliance. The visibility in the pharma business is a higher bar and you guys now meet that bar. Not easy, but you met it. Secondly, Part of that's electronic records. They have to be accurate. They have to be trusted. You got to be able to show that you've secured them properly. No one can tamper with them. You have to go through and prove every one of these things meets the calibration uh, requirements that it needs to meet. So it's not, you don't get a a dud. (laughs) And that leads to the fourth point, which is that good manufacturing practices for pharma. So it can't be, you can't be looking for the low cost supplier on this, you have to do the right thing. So what is the fifth point? The fifth one, and, and I would argue is the one that, that really brings it all together for us is, is we, have, we have a number of our customers, including on the pharma side, that are using our managed services team. So we have a team in place 
that is distributed and follows the sun from a, um, from a global hours standpoint, because we, you know, these customers are shipping product all over the world. We have a managed services team that is responsible for 24 seven, huh? 24 seven. We're watching these shipments. And so in their debt, we have dedicated people for our customers so that if you are, if you are a pharma company that is moving product and you start to get a temperature excursion because you have you have one of your shipments sitting on the tarmac too long in the southwest U.S. in the middle of the summer, you can get an alert so that you can take action. And that's what our team will do. The managed services team, depending on our customer, they will take action and contact somebody on the ground who can move that shipment or get it into cold storage or get it loaded onto the right plane so they can move or they can call ahead to say, just want to let you know, like this alert went off a half hour ago. We haven't been able to get a hold of anybody to move it. There's a strong likelihood that when this shows up, it's going to have to go into quarantine. You might have to make other arrangements to get. Oh, I love it. There's other medicine from other distribution centers or locations you can move. Might be the time to consider it. Our, the whole goal of our managed services team is to take the alerts that our product is giving in the midst of a, of a, a shipment. And then based on an SOP that we have in place with our customer, so whatever operating procedure they want us to take, we will take that action so that within the midst of it, the real and real time, we can help affect the outcome either for that individual shipment or help our end customer make different arrangements to make sure like if there is going to be a gap because something is going to show up and not be something they can use. What else can they do so they still have the right product on the shelf for their consumer? Yeah, that that is so important. And I like the fact you got a managed team that is not answering to necessarily a 3PL or a warehouse. It's answering to Tive and to the pharma company because I did hear, I've said this before on my podcast, years ago, a food company that I know owned a trucking company. And they said, some, no, this is not pharma, it's food, but the same, same principles apply this food was supposed to be delivered on a Friday. It doesn't. It goes into back to the terminal and somebody said, make sure this stays cold all weekend. Make sure this is this trailer's plugged in. What's not? Somehow that doesn't get communicated. Sunday night, these guys come back and they're looking at $70,000 worth of food that they might have spoiled. Well, do you want to tell the boss, Josh, that you screwed that up? Or should I tell him that you screwed it up? Because I mean, I think what they decided to do when these were people who worked in a warehouse, they said, I I might get fired. The hell with it. I'm just going to plug it back in. It'll be fine. And you don't want, when you're talking about, again, life-saving drugs or, or uh, vaccines, you can't afford that error. I mean, and by the way, we've all seen what happens to pharmaceutical companies and medicine companies when there is failure. Their name is bad forever. They get sued for billions of dollars. And it's, it's, this, is, this, is, uh, this is not a small decision that's being made. No, and in, in, the, in the extreme cases, again, if that's a life-saving medicine or a life-altering medicine, it, it can do real harm. So it's uh, even on the food side, we've seen it do real harm when things are shipped incorrectly, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, we uh, should mention you. This is you guys have. If you meet the, the the level for pharma, you meet the level for everything else in spades. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know we have two very fast growing parts of our business, but you know, food is a really big part of our business, and and uh, 
in the U.S., in Europe, in Australia, in Latin America and Mexico in particular, where you have those shipping lanes coming up into the U.S., it's a tremendous part of our business because there is such a high sensitivity. A lot of products that are moving, there's a high sensitivity to temperature deviation. Yeah, you told me a stat, and I don't have it written down, so please uh, remind me. What percentage of perishable food perishes before it gets sold? 2%. That's, that's crazy, Munt. 2% of all, all produce shipments perish before they're able to be sold or consumed. So it's essentially just going into a dump, going into a landfill is total that's waste. Awful. And our, our goal, because that's when we initially talk to some of our customers, that's where they're at. I mean, that's the average. So when we talk to them, we set a goal of, all right, what can we, what can we drive that down by in the first year? And then what's our goal in the second year? We have some customers that we are, we are nipping at zero. We're not quite there, but we're nipping at zero and others that we've taken from 3% down to 1%. So it has a real impact. Yeah. And by the way, we also know this. Sometimes when you take something home, you know, head of lettuce, I'll say the spinach I buy in one of those little boxes, there's a good chance that if I don't eat it in the first few days, it's gone. I saw a napkin I thought was funny. It said, I just bought a head of lettuce. Should I throw it out now or wait a week? And I think all of us have bought <laughs> produce with the idea that I will eat it in the next day or so and then we don't and it goes bad. We want obviously to be able to us as consumers want to be able to have that in my refrigerator for a decent amount of time. I won't have to eat it the day I bring it home because it's going to go bad. Yeah. And if you follow the chain back, if you're the retailer, you want to be associated with having a good head of lettuce that somebody can buy and have in their fridge and be okay with. You also want to be the supplier that's associated with right. it because that's what the retailer is going to look at. And then if there's a carrier or a shipper in between there, they need to make sure they're moving it the right way because if they get associated with bad heads of lettuce that don't have a long shelf life, they're not going to be with them very long. Right. Well, I want to walk through a case study for pharma before I get before you dump me here. So again, we talked about those five points that we wanted to make. Is, again, you need to be compliant at this point. And pharma has a higher bar and Tive now meets that bar. And part of its electronic records, calibrated equipment, good manufacturing practices, and um, managed services to make sure that it all works and that you don't have somebody who's you know, outside the loop potentially screwing it up for everybody. So let's talk about a case study. So I'll let you decide, where does this start? What kind of company is it and what are they trying to move to where? Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about, we'll talk about a, a global logistics service provider okay. that is working on behalf of a couple of major pharma manufacturers and has responsibility for shipping. Their average shipment is around minus 20 C. So it's, it's, uh, it's not quite- What are those shipments worth? Like a truckload of that stuff. A truckload. I mean, even just, you know, I think the average pallet for this particular company is around $130,000. And a pallet. And a pallet. And they're moving, they're moving using air freight. So you think about it, it's going from cold chain DC to truck to either another cold storage facility or straight on to the airplane and then landing and going to another facility before being distrib uh, distributed to its final destination. 
So there's a lot of touch points in there. There's a lot of areas where things can go wrong. Well, and you might not, if you're the pharma company, you might say, I don't even know anyone other than the 3PL that I hired. You don't. And oftentimes you don't have visibility into what's happening in between. So like, you know, part of our service is that if you are the 3PL and you want to be able to provide transparency to the pharma company to say, here's what we're doing and here's where your stuff is, our platform gives them the ability to share that and, and collaborate with them. And so that's that's why ultimately we're we're getting a lot of these customers to come over because we provide the ultimate flexibility for how much data you want to share, who you want to share it with, where that's getting piped into so that it's in your TMS or your WMS or your ERP system that you're using to monitor. And that is really what has separated us in the market is like we we are the software company, we're the data company that's trying to open up access to that real-time visibility. So you can see what's happening along all of those touch points. And this, we're just talking about one shipment right. that is trying to get to its final destination. This particular customer that I'm referring to is doing this thousands of times a month. So this is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty significant distribution network they have. So you guys, there, so there, I, because let's just assume you have the managed service on that. So there is no ap- actual failure, but there is a point where there's an intervention. What would be one of your typical interventions where you have to say, you know, raise the red flag and say, hey, guys, warning Will Robinson, if you guys know that reference. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in this in this particular case, because the you know temperature excursion is the main factor for or the and, main reason. And that just basically means the temperature is supposed to be below 20. Is that what you said? And then all of a sudden. Most times they'll have a band. So it's it, it might be from like minus 18 to minus 22. And if it pops outside of that band, especially if it rises above that band for X amount of time, let's call it 30 minutes, and we're going to set an alert that says, okay, this has been above the band of 18C for the last 30 minutes, it sends an alert. And the next time it transmits, if it's still above that band, it will send another alert. Depending on the the standard operating procedure we have in place, our customer might say, Hey, if it does that two times in a row after an hour, then we want to do something about it. So here's those, the I can program it any way I want. Uh, and you can how program do I program? It do, I have to, do I have to code every one of these things? I mean, how is how difficult is that? It's not coding. Oftentimes what's going to happen is you're going to have a certain type of shipment that's moving across a certain lane, across a certain mode. And so if you're repeating that over and over again, you're going to be able to just set exactly what you want for your configuration. So if it needs to transmit every 10 minutes, you can go down to five minutes, you can go up to 30, you can do it if it's an ocean shipment and you don't want it to ping, and you can set it to 12 hours or 24 hours. So it's it has maximum flexibility in there. And then with the alert settings, it's the same thing. You can set your alert setting to be that temperature threshold that you're triggering an excursion and then apply that across all of these shipments that you can either bulk upload or that are being imported from uh, your transportation management system. So we try to make it as easy as possible and as configurable as possible for the customer. So I can do no coding. I just put it, I just go on computer and say, here's what I want this to be one time. Well, in addition, we have uh, an account management team that is going to be on is going to be on every one of these accounts and, and we'll walk you through and teach you exactly how to do it. So you kind of give us what is uh, what is good look like? What is your perfect scenario look like? And we'll help you architect it through the platform. 
You know what I like about this, and and this doesn't have anything to do with the cold excursion, but I guess it could, is let's just say it's coming from Europe to here. And somebody says, you know, that's taking this long. And somebody says, well, it's not my fault. It's on the boat for too long. Or on the boat and the the shipping line says, not us, it's the port. And the port says, it isn't us. We told the trucking company. And you can kind of always have, I would say the, the he said, she said of logistics. Well, now you could, after, let's just say 20 shipments, you go, I can tell you exactly how long it is staying in each one of these places. And if I start to see, and at one of the places, let's just say the the port warehouse, it's it's going a little hot. It's it's coming it's coming up in in temperature. So you can start to and I joke about this, but it's no joke. One time, the average American was a farmer, and then it went, it changed to factory worker. Then it changed to clerk. And now I think it's going to change to data scientists because we're all going to be looking at sensor outputs that tell us here's the problem and be able to meet with that pharma company and the 3PL partners and say, we got to do better on this location. We have a, uh, we have a major retailer who, who had essentially product moving from the same point A to the same point B across different carriers. And they were getting different results in terms of how long it was taking and the condition, the percentage of goods that were showing up in the proper condition. And so they used our data to be able to analyze like at a carrier level, like what's going on. And they could see- That's fantastic. How like actually they could see physically what route they were taking to arrive at the same spot. They could see how many times the truck was stopping. They could understand, you know, was it, uh, were we getting temperature excursions because we were stopping in a part of Texas in the middle of the summer that was, you know, driving the temperature of the truck up. So it was, it was able to really get specific. So then they can call the carrier and say, Hey, like you might want to recommend either a different route or because this is the day. Maybe a different truck. Maybe it's an old truck that does, it can't keep the temperature cold in the heat. So what is your average intervention from your managed service team? What are they normally getting involved in? It depends. It really, it truly does depend on the customer because some of our customers, they just want to know when it's, it's dead red and there's a problem. Other customers want to know when it's when yellow. <laughs> yeah. It's more of a, more of a yellow light because it, it can get noisy if you, if you configure too many alerts. So, so it really does depend. And it also depends on, on what's being shipped and how sensitive is it, whether it's, we have some customers that are moving electronics that are really sensitive to shock. And so they want to know if there is a shock event. Oh yeah, you guys move those million dollar servers from China, right? We do. Yeah, we have um, we have servers that are being moved not only from China but but all other parts of the world. And if there's if it shows up damaged, they want to know why and who and where and how. And so you we could, can so you them. could you could tell them. I know exactly what time it got damaged. It got knocked over. It fell to the ground, right? Or something. A significant shock happened at this point. And, you, and, the, and the, let's just say it's a warehousing company. Can't say, no, the trucking company did that. We know exactly when it happened. And by the way, I think most of us who've been involved with freight claims would love that. You know, if it's my fault, let's, let's call it my fault. But sometimes you don't know. So it gets delivered. You don't open it up right away. And... uh you find out later, and then by that time, it's too late to kind of do the uh, the investigation. Yeah, or you might you might not have enough inventory by the time it shows up. Like think about a situation where during the holiday rush, a bunch of broken TVs showed up. 
to a Best Buy store or a Target store, that's a problem for them because they might not have enough inventory for what they need to sell. So. Yeah. And by the way, these, I know, I know uh, I've, I've talked to you guys before, so I know these, these Tive trackers that you use, let's just say I put them on these pharma shipments. What happens when it arrives? Do I throw that tracker out? Do I send it? How do I get it back to you guys? How does this all work? Yeah. So we, we offer, um, we're, we're offering either option for our customer. Now, many of these customers operate. So we have a green program built into our contract that essentially says you send a tracker back, you get a 20% credit for that device. Because and, you're not, and you're not throwing electronic stuff into the garbage either. Exactly. You're not doing that. You're sending it back to us. We're going to refurbish it. We're going to make it new. We're going to revalidate and calibrate it. And then we'll put it back out there. So we're trying to recycle as much as we can. And, and obviously, customer- you, obviously, you can track them too. <laughs> we can track them if they're on. We can track them if they're on. But then we also have customers that take advantage. We have a, we have a, a reusable device as well. So if they prefer... If they have a closed loop circulation and they can get the device back, charge it back up again and put it on another load, they can use that device for years and years over and over again. And it really kind of reduces the footprint. And stay, it stays within calibration and all that? So we'll recalibrate after a certain period. I think our, our certificate of calibration is good for three years. Damn, you don't miss anything over there. <laughs> well, it's it's because of our customers, because they say, hey, you don't have this thing. We go get it. <laughs> right, right. So let's wrap this bad boy up. So give me some final thoughts on this validated real-time visibility for pharma and why it's so important. And uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we can reach out and talk to you guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for us, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about is, is actually how much. So we talked about on the, I think about, produce and that 2% of it is spoiling on the, on the pharma side and specifically cold chain shipped medicines. It's even worse. Oh no. That's when it's up. What'd you say? How much per pallet was that? This one in particular is 130,000 per pallet. And it's spoiled. (laughs) And spoiled. So you think about, but when you think about it across like clinical trials, so going not just like the major vaccine shipments. I know we all go to COVID vaccines, but then you think of like clinical trials, which oftentimes are shipped in smaller batches or are going to more distribution points at the end. You're, you're talking a, a 20% refusal rate when those goods arrive because they weren't shipped in the right condition or had an excursion and they have to go. And you also have to prove it that it didn't, right? You do. And so that's why it goes into this quarantine process. So you have what is potentially good product that's being held up in this quarantine process. And then it's, it's on whoever is receiving it to be able to execute that process. And that can be it's a lot of paperwork, but it can be heavy. And, and the biggest enemy of all is time because it's sitting there not being used by a consumer, not being sold by, to a consumer. And so we're trying to help our customers with that part of it. Because again, when you follow the bouncing ball across all the pieces that touch those shipments, right? there's a lot that happens. And there's a reason that that 20% number is there because there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of specifications that has to meet. And if it falls outside of those standards, it then has to go through another process to be tested and checked to see if it's even viable for consumer use. Which is why the the which is why the validated real time visibility is so important for pharma. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about the cost. I say one hundred thirty thousand dollars per pallet. Sometimes it could be moving 
you know, I know this is, we're talking about pharma, but sometimes you're moving organs. That's the difference between life and death. Yep. If you're moving vaccines, obviously that's important. But you said the cryo, when you're doing stuff for um, lab work, those are wildly expensive to do lab work. And if you're transporting it somewhere, you don't want to have to redo all that. I mean, this is, again, potentially... I don't know what I don't want to put a number on it, but I suspect it could easily get into the millions of dollars. Very easily, and and there the I'm not I'm not even talking about our customers who have truckloads that are in the millions of dollars. And and there were there were also periods during the COVID vaccine distribution process where trucks were getting robbed in the U.S. and Europe and other places. So because of the value of the medicine, you know it's it's crazy during COVID. We had all sorts of people start saying, oh, no, this is uh, – I don't trust this. And and everybody's entitled to their opinion. The worst thing that can happen on some of those be- is, in my mind, is some of the, the vaccine hurts somebody. And, and that's the same with all the flu shots that we get every year. COVID's a, hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime. But if somebody says flu shots no longer work because there was a bad batch – the reluctance for people to take that shot next year is going to be there. And uh, again, there's lives at stake. I, and I, I think the other side of that coin is the person that really wants to get it and can't because it, it didn't show up or it was damaged. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys did it. So anyway, Josh, tell us a little bit about how we can reach out and talk to you guys. What conferences are you guys going to be at? I know you're going to pharma conferences. So let's talk about that. And then let's talk about the other conferences that you might attend also. Yeah, we've got we've got a few pharma conferences lined up. So we're at the Clinical Trial Supply Conference, which is in Milan in March. We're at PSIP in Switzerland in May, which is you know one of the homes of, of big pharma. We're at two larger pharma events next year. So there's one in France in April, and then there's there's one uh, here in Boston in September, which we were at this year and was was a, a really great event for us. And then there's the Farm Connect Congress, which is in Poland in May. You go into all these cool places. Do you need a podcaster to come with you? <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you want to meet us there, Joe, you're welcome. Welcome to come meet us. And so, are you guys also attending all the logistics conferences too? Yeah, we're at a bunch of those. We're at uh, we're at the big ones for sure. We're at Manifest. I will see we, you there. <laughs> we will see you there. And we had uh, we were just at IFPA uh, a couple of weeks back. Wait, wait, IFPA, what is that? It used to be PMA, which was the big produce okay convention, yep. and it is big. It is big. Where was that uh, at? That was down in Orlando at the convention center. It was a great experience. You have a lot of the big growers there, whether it's a, a Sunkist or a Taylor Farms. You have a lot of the the three PLs and transportation service providers. You have the the businesses like ours that are trying to support the safe movement of, of produce around the world. So it was a really great event for us and, and we'll be back at that next year. Excellent. Excellent. So one more time, who are some of your market segments that you guys work with mostly? Yeah, we're, like I mentioned earlier, we spend a lot of time on the food side. So that's, that's in particular things that are being shipped cold. So you think we talk about produce a lot, but it's also- Perishables, yep. Yeah, it's meat and poultry. It's uh, it's it's anything that's perishable. We have a number of customers that are that are moving flowers. Flowers is a very big business and have to be shipped correctly and are very susceptible to temperature deviation. We also work with high value, high risk. So think of of more of your 
electronics or things like satellite parts or automotive yes, parts. Yes, that very expensive server that I want to know that it's safe and sound on the way from wherever to my location. Exactly. We talked a lot about pharma today. So pharma is a, a, a big focus area for us in particular this quarter and as we go into next year because we have that product. So we're working with a number of companies who are, who are currently in testing with us. And I mentioned that's across the packaging companies, the, the transportation service providers, and of course, the manufacturers themselves. I would think, I would think this, as a, when you're in transportation businesses, it's always, you kind of always seem to be competing on rates. I think this is nice when you can say, hey, we, uh, we, we are on the part of this higher bar, you know, in tracking, you know, the high value of products like that, because everyone's looking for that edge in the transportation biz. Well, and that's the that's the last big bucket for us. It's a big part of our business is working with the transportation service providers, the three PLs, because they're looking for competitive differentiation in the market, and they need to be able to offer a different service to their customers to win those bids. So we are often going to bid with them as a part of their solution because they need to be able to say, "We can actually tell you exactly where your stuff is." It is true real time visibility. It's not. It's not just data plumbed in from other places, but it's we're actually putting a device on that specific shipment for you if you want to know where it is and if it's in the right condition. This is the only option. Right. You guys are going to end up certifying 3PLs and trucking companies before long because you want to be able to say that they're TIVE approved. And 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 why I say that is because I, I did work with a lot of food, food Safety Modernization Act. And I remember the first time I did some training, there was like 50 companies in it. And there was... <laughs> People who raised their hand and said, "We don't answer to the FDA." I was like, "If you're moving, if you're moving produce, if you're moving meat, yeah, yeah, you do." And it was a, it was, but we didn't always. I mean, it was not until the Food Safety Modernization Act a few years back where all of a sudden. And by the way, make, that makes sense. I'm not always saying the government should be involved, but if you're moving food, I like the idea that there's some guardrails out there to keep uh, keep everything moving the right temperature without it being tampered and keeps us all safe and sound. Yes. And it, and it's an ex- expensive process to grow food, move food, and then not be able to sell. Them. Oh yeah. That's the worst. I mean, it's, you think about that long supply chain and then you say it got ruined at the very end. So anyway, final thoughts, Josh Allen on validated real-time visibility for farmer. Well, final thoughts are I, I, I would encourage anyone listening who is uh, either struggling with this challenge or wants to know more about, how we're attacking the problem a little bit differently than, than some of the other solutions that are available. You can come to our website, which is just tive.com. There's a lot of resources on there. We're pretty busy on LinkedIn. So anybody who wants to connect either with the company or with myself or with our CEO and founder, Kranar, we love to engage. We love to work directly with our customers and talk to them about the solutions. They've also greatly helped influence and shape the product that we're building. So these are not this is not us sitting in a room and trying to come up with the next great thing. It's just taking the feedback from our customers of what doesn't exist in the market today and the problems they want to solve. I would, I would love it if people would come to us digitally and engage with us, but also when they see us at the events we're going to be attending and, and out in the field, uh, we'd love to see you. Excellent. I'll put a link to uh, your website and a link to your LinkedIn profile and any other links that uh, Lauren gives me, I'll put in the show notes. And uh, Perfect. Josh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, same, Joe. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Excellent, excellent. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.